As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Stars Matter in the Until Saturday feed. This episode of Stars Matter is sponsored by Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. I'm Mitch Light, joined. Usually we have try to have these clever introductions. We say hello, let our guests say hello, but we have way too much to get to on the first day of uh, the early signing period, joined by Ari Wasserman, Grace Rayner, and Manny Navarro. And Manny, our Miami beat writer, covers recruiting for us in the Southeast, mainly Florida, we got to get to you first. You had a eventful day first with Jeremiah Smith. You thought you saw Jeremiah Smith signing to Ohio State. Later, you saw an Armando Blount flip from Florida State to Miami. As we're talking live right now, Jeremiah Smith has still not signed his national letter of intent. Tell us what you know at this point, and I guess you've had sort of an eventful day. Yeah, I think I probably should have listened to Ari and just opened up the black bag to see if there was an actual <laughs> national letter of intent in there and not just a Miami hat and uh, Ohio State hat, which t- that's what it turned out to be, according to Jeremiah. Uh, I can tell you at this hour as we're, as we're here uh, live uh, streaming that his national letter of intent, I think, has still not arrived at Ohio State. I think they're still uh, working out some uh, P's and Q's in the contract, right, his NIL deal. Uh, and I think if Ohio State uh, meets what he wants, he'll end up signing with the Buckeyes and sending that national letter of intent over. I think if that doesn't happen, I think there's probably a really good chance he'll end up at Miami. So uh, it's the world of college football we live in now, Mitch. Where do you think he wants? I mean, this is probably too difficult. Where do you think he wants to play? Do you think he's literally torn or you think he wants to go to Ohio State, but there's family there's and there's other things pulling at him? Yeah, I think... I think from a football perspective, he, he feels like, you know, Ohio State's the best place for him to go. He told me flatly, you know, I, I want to go to a place that develops guys into first round picks. And so he sees that as the best place to go. He believes in the Ari Wasserman philosophy. You go to the place. Yeah, because there's where, no way he'd be a first round pick if he went to Miami. Not tonight, or, not yeah. tonight Mitch. We're not doing that tonight. Okay. <laughs> But I'm just saying, like, in general, he, he really does feel like Brian Hartline is the best receivers coach in the country, and this is the place for him to go. And I also think on the flip side of it, 
he also knows that if he stays home, his grandmother will get to watch him every single game, right? Like she won't have to get on a plane to fly up to Columbus. His his mom will be there. His dad will be there. Uh, he also knows that he's got a bunch of friends that he grew up playing youth football with, with the sure. Miami Gardens Ravens. They're all signed with Miami. A bunch of them signed with Miami. So he has a chance to stay home and, and quote unquote, be a part of something special. And And I think ultimately though, this is an NIL type of thing. And, and, and I think if Ohio State can't sort of guarantee some of the things that, that he wants, he'll probably stay home. Ari, you have covered recruiting for a while. You've covered Ohio State for a long time. Just balls in your court. What are you thinking right now? Um, I understand that he has been one of the most famous uh, recruits of the last two years. I mean, anybody who's watched his tape knows that he is a most notable non-quarterback, right? Would you guys say yeah, most I mean, notable non-quarterback yeah, he's the last three or four transcendent years. athlete who I think would be a first-round pick no matter where he went. Thank you. Um, <laughs> that said, I also, and everybody else probably to a certain extent, forgets he's a kid. And we're talking about you know people pulling on both arms behind the scenes. Um, he has to make a decision that's best for him, and the hope is that he gets to do that. Um, but... I also understand, too, that if Miami is going to be offering something more financially than Ohio State and he gets to do those things that Manny just said about playing in front of his grandparents and um, playing with his kids that he grew up with and, you know, staying close to home like that makes a lot of sense to me. If he wants to go to the place that has pictures of Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jamison Williams and Marvin Harrison standing next to each other, then he goes to Ohio State, you know, and I know it might be a little bit deeper than that. But there are two different ways to chase a bag, you know, and it's not that he's not going to get paid at Ohio State either. I'm not crazy enough to think that. So I guess it just comes down to not just for Jeremiah, but for anybody that's in this position of do you want the upfront situation where you can still, you know, take all that money and and achieve what you want? Because who's to say that with the class that Miami just put together today that they're not going to be very good in the next few years? Or he can go to the place or the path with least resistance that has you know made these first round draft picks year over year under Brian Hartline and go a little bit further away from home. So um, it's a shame that this isn't set already because I don't want the podcast to be out of date for some of the people (laughs) who listen to this tomorrow. But, you know, for the number one player in the country to still be in this position to say he's going somewhere and then maybe signing the NLI with somebody else eight, ten hours later is just another signing day grab ass uh, situation that (laughs) – This is what makes this day special. And honestly speaking, as we get through into more signing day discussion, there really wasn't anything crazy that happened. I mean, last year we had a kid not date the form properly and that caused him to flip somewhere else. Like flipping isn't crazy. It's the craziness that happens outside of that. That didn't happen today. And if that, if this happened, then he went to Miami. I think that would qualify for sure. Yeah, there were some notable flips we'll get to. Jordan Seaton, the number one offensive tackle, is not signed and will not sign today despite going on TV and publicly committing to Colorado a few weeks ago. But Grace Rayner, you like you like some drama. I do. You do like drama. And as someone who's not specifically covering this, you're just sitting from you know, sitting back enjoying. You know, what what are your thoughts on this saga? I mean, as a human being, I feel for <laughs> Jeremiah, right? Because he's a kid and there's a lot of pressure and a lot but, of people in his but. ear. But <laughs> as a consumer I of content, I love the grab ass. Like Brian Day today almost <laughs> yes. fainting when he found out that Jeremiah had committed, but then he was couldn't he say anything. And at that, point, he, at that point, oh, that what he I'm going to get ahead of myself. <laughs> he, ahead of us. he had not, they had not gotten the 
Edric Houston news either. There's a lot of right. smoke that Edric Houston. So he got up in that press conference. He didn't know about Jeremiah Smith. He probably thought that Edric Houston was going to Alabama. He, he are you tweeted some stuff about like you know as you I know, Ohio as, State as, as you want to do yeah. like yeah like it's either going to be the worst day or the best day of Ryan mm-hmm. Day's life. So Grace, that that had to play into it when we watched Ryan Day like that. He was pretty stressed out. Yeah, well, and like you hear, then now you see Manny's tweets about Jeremiah not knowing until two minutes before. And it's like, I think it's a reminder, and we always knew this, but just to see how high the stakes are playing out in real time, I think is really fascinating. And I can't wait. Hopefully one of us writes it, like the story of the eight hours or the 10 hours or however long this goes um, between Jeremiah's gymnasium announcement and putting his name on a piece of paper. Manny, I think that was, I'm your editor, but I think Grace just assigned a story to you. So (laughs) I want to read that so bad. Like what the heck has happened this afternoon? Yeah. I mean, he's giving interviews to people like Manny about Ohio State. Yes. And yeah. I mean, we, we, we have not been in that position. We need to move on, but it's just like, it seems like it's a very difficult decision. But like once you make that decision, it should be made. But then, there's Mitch, I know that you're that the host calls. of the show. Uh, yeah. But maybe this will be a nice segue just to talk about everything else that Miami did today because yeah. it was a lot. Well, I was yeah. going to say real quick before we get to Miami, what was it? Jeremiah McClellan, they forced oh, yes, forced our wide. You want to do a quick Ohio State thirty seconds? Yeah, yeah do thirty seconds on Ohio State, then we'll let Manny jump in on Miami. Um, Ohio State's day started off rough because Jeremiah McClellan flipped to Oregon. Um, he's a top one hundred player and a receiver. And as you guys know, Ohio State doesn't lose those players very often uh, under Brian Hartline and has signed a lot of them. Um, but there was a notion coming into the day that Jeremiah Smith would sign at Ohio State and that Edric Houston would flip to Alabama. And Edric Houston is a five-star defensive end. And anybody who's been paying attention to Ohio State the last few years knows that receiver and having those types of players in that position room isn't much of a need. Not that Jeremiah it's a luxury. Smith. Yeah, I mean, Jeremiah Smith is a take for everybody, no matter what, because he's a brilliant player. But they haven't been recruiting very well on the defensive line to the point where it's like numbers are an issue. So to lose a five-star defensive end after losing five-star defensive tackle Justin Scott to Miami, of all places, um, you know, a month ago, they would have gone into a situation where I think they only signed like five or four tackles the last two years. And yeah, you're talking more tackles, right? Because they signed ends. two five-star, def- you know, Jack Sawyer and JTT. In the, who are gonna I mean, Jack Sawyer has been in college, might leave for the NFL this year. Like, they yeah. are dire straits when it comes to edge rushers, and I think they're going to have to explore the portal. But they've gotten to a position where people are questioning Larry Johnson's future, whether it's time for him to retire, um, whether or not, you know, Ohio State can get it done on that side of the ball, especially at that position group. So losing out on a kid that's been committed for months who didn't visit anywhere until, you know, the end of the road here, and then they end up losing him would be a real kick in the knackers, as the kids like to say. And the fact that they <laughs> were able to... kids say knackers, by the way. Yeah, um, the fact <laughs> they were able to hold on to him is, is a huge situation. And as Jeremiah Smith is still in the fold as well, Ohio State's the only program in the sport this year who has commitments from five five-star prospects. Now, that could change you know, as recently or as soon as a a minute from now. But there's no question that the the addition or the lack of loss of Edric Houston out of this class might might be one of the most important storylines in recruiting for Ohio State of the last two years. Now, they got to find a quarterback. Um, They might not. They might roll with, you know, Aaron Nolan, who also signed the five-star, you know, kid that signed today. But, yeah. I mean, it was just a, it was going to be, ten, if they would have lost Edric Houston, it would have been like banana land in Columbus, Ohio, yeah. Twitter today. 
All right, Manny. Um, Armando Blount reflipped. Mm-hmm. He's a kid who reclassified from 25 to 24, committed to Miami, flipped to Florida State when he announced his reclassification. Now he's back. You were at his ceremony. That was not a secret. Most you you'd been kind of telling us that to, to expect that. So um, just a great closing day. You know, to, even if they don't get Jeremiah Smith, just a great day for for uh, Mario. Yeah, I mean, like run it, run, run it down. Like, what do they get for people who are like watching this? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, first of all, I mean, obviously, Blunt is a five-star uh, defensive lineman. You know, a def- edge rusher, six four, two fifty. It's crazy. But when he starts classes in January at Miami, you mentioned him reclassifying. He's going to be sixteen years old. He doesn't turn seventeen wow. until February. Because a lot of guys who reclassify are already of age, and they're like, 19, right. they would have been nineteen as freshmen. But he sounds like he's a true. He Skipping is in a grade. He is, and he's my six brother four. did that. Just so you know. All right, yeah. all right. Three <laughs> stars. He was just smart. He was just smart. <laughs> okay. He just went to college early and got addicted well, to cigarettes. Between him and <laughs> between him and Justin Scott. <laughs> between between Blunt and Justin We've, Scott, Manny's just going to keep I going. Benji recruits me. He said we had to get through this. He said we had to get through this quickly. All right, Justin all right. Scott. Sorry. <laughs> Between Blunt and Scott, you have uh, two of the best defensive linemen that Miami, I think, signed like in the modern era. So, I mean, obviously, Mario set out to do that. Mm-hmm. They hosted a bunch of kids over the summer, uh, and these are the two guys they ended up with. They also got Marquise Lightfoot, who's a top 100 edge rusher. So three of their top four uh, signees are, are, are defensive linemen. The other one's from safety. Chicago. Two from Chicago. Yeah. Pipeline. Marquise, two, two kids out of Chicago, right. Um, and Miami, people forget, but they've actually recruited some really good players out of the Chicago area back in the day. Um, Zaquan Patterson is, uh, you know, a, a kid that they flipped from Florida State, um, or didn't flip, but he was looked like he was trending towards Florida State. Today they flipped a Darius Hayes, a four-star linebacker who was committed to Florida, um, and then Jordan Lyle. They got uh, the running back on Monday night uh, from St. Thomas Aquinas, locally and uh, a big-time star at St. Thomas. Um, lost Kevin Riley, the Hall running State. back. Yeah, they lost Taliban. Kevin Riley, but but it was sort of a preemptive move. A trade, yeah. getting Lyle right because it uh, is kind of funny to me that Miami is just picking on Ohio State this year. Yeah, I mean three three <laughs> dudes basically out of their class here down the stretch, and and potentially you know potentially three dudes with Smith. So okay, we've got three important got, dudes. Yeah, yeah, we've got a segment coming up more on the Florida schools. We're going to talk Florida, Florida State, but Ari, I think this is a good time for Manny to admit defeat. Florida yeah. State, they're closer to number 10 than they are to number one. <laughs> and for, the, for any new listeners tonight, Manny, about three or four months ago, made a bold prediction that Florida State was going to end up with the number one class in the country and kind of dug his heels in, even wore Florida State gear, you know, around town, just trying yep. to get the local the kids to sign with the Seminoles. And there's a glimmer of hope for a while, but Manny, it's yeah. Over. Yeah, they, I think they got to as high as number three, Mitch. Uh, maybe getting really close to number two there with Ohio State for a while. Uh, but you know, today was a bad day for them. Um, you mentioned KJ. I think you, one of you mentioned KJ Bolden earlier, didn't you? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, another five star flipped. Yeah, they lost yeah, another, two five star prospects today. Yeah, they lost both of them. Both of their five stars. Uh, the only two that they had. So it was a rough day for Mike Norvell. Uh, and you know, it, it just—it's kind of been a crappy couple weeks right since they missed the playoff and then today is just kind of like i don't want to call it the cherry on top but certainly like just just deflating for them they look i will say this this is their first top 10 class since i think 2017 so at least there's a step forward there 
They've kind of relied so heavily on the transfer portal. Uh, they still got some really good defensive backs in this class, including Charles Lester, who's, I think, one of the top cornerbacks. So, but also had like a weird morning because he sent he out his a national letter yes. of intent yes. and then said, I'm not, I'm not signing today. And as they already announced him. Like, yeah. so I don't know if there's anything weird it. going on there, but yeah. So, yeah, but overall, I think, you know, if you're a Seminole fan, I, I know you're not feeling good today, but I would tell you just don't freak out. It's it's not the end of the world. I think Mike Norvell's still doing a pretty good job over there. Yeah, and there was a little Ryan Wingo talk this morning, although Ryan Wingo's sleeping, and everyone's talking about him. <laughs> that was the best tweet of the whole day. Yeah. Like, no, I was like, <laughs> yeah, for the, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably on social media, you probably saw this, but there was maybe some people insinuating that Ryan Wingo – could be flipping from Texas and all this stuff. And it's whoever tweeted said he's still sleeping like an hour later when goes like, I'm up, I'm awake or something <laughs> like so that. Funny. And he I just like, Texas. no, yeah. like that kid's going to be a stud. Cause like, if you are so sure of yourself, you got a sense that, of humor like, on the biggest day of your young life <laughs> with the entire internet hanging on to your decision, you're just like hitting the snooze button. Like, That's like you, you imagine like the night before a job interview or <laughs> any big day that you guys have in your life, like you're like locked in, you know, you wake up earlier before the alarm. I was up at 6 a.m. to morning. Afraid. I was ready. <laughs> you're afraid that you're going to miss something. And then this kid's just like one leg hanging off the end of the bed. <laughs> so <laughs> you know, just I mean, like snoring. Yeah. So the foot he, he when he picked Texas, it was over Missouri. Other schools were involved. And that could have given Missouri two five stars. South Carolina is two five star. And Ari, this is something you're actually writing about tonight. And we've talked about and it's been written or about tomorrow. How, I'm getting tired. Yeah. In, in the in the NIL era, how. You know, might be some more teams getting in that five star, a little more talent spread out a little bit. And and we actually we had Shane Beamer on. We're gonna we have clips from three coaches that we talked to this week um, for part of our show. We talked to we talked to Shane Beamer just kind of about his program. He signed two five star players today. So here's the full interview, Coach Shane Beamer. Hey, Coach, you've been obviously doing this a while and assistant coach for most of your career up until the last three or four years, I guess three years. How is this day different sitting in your chair now as a head coach than when you're assistant? And sure, you wanted everything to go well for the program, but you had your guys you were honing in now. Now they're all your guys. Yeah, just that. You're worried about, not worried, but you're so uh, engaged and, and involved in, in every position. And, um, you know, there's a lot of time invested into these young men. And before you were just worried about me as the tight ends coach or running backs coach or whatever it might be. Now it's not just all these guys that you've developed relationships with, but also understanding that uh, getting them here into your program uh, is a direct correlation between how successful you're going to be as a head coach and as a program. So it's the magnitude has increased, the time involved. You know, I was coaching tight ends that – Oklahoma and Georgia and you'd go into signing day and you felt pretty good about the guys that you were recruiting signing and you were pretty relaxed and, <laughs> and whatnot. Whereas the head coach, you're worried about the entire signing class and the signing day going the way you want it to. Coach, you guys signed two five stars this morning. Uh, Dylan Stewart out of Washington, D.C., defensive end, Josiah Thompson from Dylan, offensive tackle. Um, I believe both of them are going to go down or as currently two of the top 10 highest rated recruits in South Carolina history. Um, yeah. What was your pitch to both of them? Um, you know, both were unique just because of where they're from. Josiah being a in-state guy, he's somebody that uh, three years ago when I got hired here at South Carolina, I was made aware of him pretty quickly. So we immediately started uh, recruiting him. And along with Cam Pringle, another offensive tackle, and Blake Franks, another offensive tackle here from the state. Uh, but just with with Josiah, great family. Mom and dad are awesome. And, and um 
just the opportunity here at Carolina to come here and very similar to what I told Alshon Jeffrey and Stefan Gilmore and Javion Clowney and those guys, DJ Swearinger back when I was here as an assistant coach, the opportunity to come and do something for your home state school and uh, try and bring an SEC championship here. And then with uh, Dylan, uh, certainly the opportunity here, uh, Sterling Lucas, his position coach is fantastic and uh, opportunity to be coached by Sterling. But then the fact that we had so many guys from that Washington, D.C., Virginia, Maryland area that were already on our team, they were our best recruiters uh, as well. You know, they came here, they were freshmen this past season, our freshmen right now, and they've had a really good experience here in Columbia. And Dylan saw that, and, and they did a great job of helping us uh, recruit him as well. But certainly to be able to get not just a, a five-star from your state, but then to be able to get a five-star, I think he's the highest-rated prospect we've ever signed outside the state of South Carolina, which is uh, which is huge and, and excited about, you know, Dylan being here. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You came in with a specific... Uh, recruiting plan. You know, obviously you want to recruit your backyard, but you also said you wanted to hit the Northeast. I guess some of it was some of your coaches on staff, like Pete Limbo, and that's SEC schools recruit everywhere, but maybe that's sort of like a little bit of an untapped market there. And you've had success with Nicholas Harbor last year. You just mentioned Dylan Stewart going into another quarterback you got who's since mm-hmm. transferred, but from Delaware. So I guess, was that your plan? And it appears that still still is an area of focus for you guys. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a couple of different things. Um, one, South Carolina is not a very big state, just population-wise. Now, I read something yesterday where tons of people are moving to South Carolina, which is great. That bodes well for uh, those families that are moving to South Carolina that have a lot of high school prospects that can play SEC football, hopefully. But it's not a big state compared to Texas, California, Florida, Georgia. So the amount of Power 5 players coming out of the state is not uh, very big. So you've got to be able to keep the best ones in South Carolina at home, which we've done a great job of that the last two years. And then you've got to be able to go out and go into surrounding states. And we've always done that here, whether it be – you know, Stephen Garcia out of the state of Florida or Connor Shaw out of Georgia or Melvin Ingram out of North Carolina. But I always felt like there was an untapped area being Virginia, Maryland, D.C. Uh, I know from coaching at Virginia Tech, you would see those guys, they would leave and they would go to Ohio State and Penn State and Michigan. But I always thought, well, why not head south? I mean, so many guys, they want to head south. They want to play in the south. They want to play in the SEC. And if you're in Virginia, Maryland, D.C. or anywhere above it, we signed Dante Reno out of Connecticut today. Uh, if you're in those areas, why would you not want to come to South Carolina? Because from a geographic standpoint, 
Columbia, South Carolina is closer to those areas than anywhere else in the SEC. Earlier, we have t- we talked to Jed Fish. We talked to Rhett Lashley for this program and about the calendar. And obviously, you know, with the portal opening, signing day, everyone admits this is kind of a problem. And I think the word un- unsustainable is, is what people say. But is there a solution that makes sense? Um, yeah. I mean, I, two things stand out to me. One, I think the portal window is too big, too long. Uh, and it's already been shrunk a little bit this year. If I'm not mistaken, I think last year it stayed open to like the middle of January. This year it closes on January 3rd. But, you know, to me, the portal's open for a month, I guess it is right now. And I think most young men, if they're going to transfer, they don't need a month to decide that. They probably have an idea they're going to before the season ends. And then certainly you run into bowl games and whatnot. And, uh, if you did close the portal earlier, I think you have a little bit more clarity on high school recruiting and, and what your roster is going to look like a little bit sooner. And then, you know, head coaches of bowl teams and playoff teams, they then have to make the decision on whether they want to let those guys, you know, play in bowl games or not if they're entering the portal. So I'd love to maybe find a way to just want guys to be able to, to better their situations and, and transfer. I'm not saying that, but just maybe shortening the window a little bit more. Uh, and then, I'm not against the early signing period. I know most people say push signing day back to February. I do want us to continue to find a way to have an early signing period. Like we're not going to quit recruiting in the summertime. It's not like if we push signing day back to February that we're just going to stop bringing in guys on visits in the summertime. We're going to continue to do that. But I just use the example of our class today. Uh, These guys have been committed to us since the summertime. Uh, now, we had to hold off a lot of big-time programs, like I said, that that were trying to get them to come to their school. But our whole class, I mean, I think they they all had their uh, papers signed and sent in by like 8.05 this morning, and they were done. And if they could have signed on September 1st, I would say that probably 90% of our signing class today would have signed on September 1st. So still have an early one, still have a late one, but I don't want to do away with the early signing period, in my opinion. I'm, I may be in the minority on that, but the calendar is jacked up and it's not ideal and it's December is really, really tough. And it's not getting any easier right now. I mean, yeah, signing day is over and people are like, well, hopefully you can get some rest now. Well, I wish like the portal's open two more weeks. Uh, so there's going to be things that continue to happen, hopefully not with your my own roster, but more than likely we may. And then there's still guys that we're looking to bring in uh, from a depth standpoint and other positions also through the portal. My last question for you, Coach, who is someone in this class, maybe underrated prospect we're not talking about now, but might be in the future? I'll give you two, and they both pop in my head because they're both from the same hometown, Savannah, Georgia. And I would say uh, Michael Smith, a tight end, and uh, David Busey, a defensive back. I think both those guys, they come from great programs uh, down in Savannah, great families, but they're just they're football players. I think both of them, David's going to start out as a defensive back, Michael's going to start out as a tight end, but I think both those guys could go play uh, David could play wide receiver and Michael could play defensive end outside linebacker and, and, and not miss a beat. You know, I think those guys are uh, two really, really just good football players. They're competitors uh, that not a lot of people are talking about, but we're really excited about. You want to know my fun fact about Pringles when you were talking about Cam Pringle? Ari, I think I've told you this. 
Um, He's got the <laughs> easiest NIL deal ever. You know? Yeah, well, he should. Oh, One yes. of my friends uh, was an engineer. His first job out of college was at the Pringles plant in Jackson, Tennessee. He was in the goal. Like they evidently could not make them fast enough because people ate too many Pringles. Like so, they had to figure out from an engineering standpoint how to make Pringles faster. So every time I see Pringles, I think about that. So Pringles are, are you, delicious. Do you guys like them? Yeah, I haven't had them in a while. I haven't either. Are, are you like throw your bag snack? You know, I want to hear a quick fun fact about your loved one. Okay. I like reduced fat chips better than regular chips. Did you like say a fun across- fact about your loved one? Yeah. What? <laughs> I thought you were going to yeah, talk about Am I not your loved one? Do you mean yourself? <laughs> you are a loved one, but not oh, my I, I didn't not- know that would be so confusing for you guys. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> I also I thought like, you were talking about Heather. <laughs> you like low-fat chips better or fat-free? Yeah, I like fat-free like or low-fat. It just, they're less greasy. They're crunchier to me. I just have always liked them. And then Pringles used to have... My favorite trip was like either a fat-free or reduced fat Pringle that they stopped making once we found out that the low-fat thing was an entire scam. <laughs> uh, and I'm upset about it because it's like, well, it does make you have to go to the bathroom a lot. All right. By the way, I didn't see who posted, but one of our listeners asked Ari if you hear those footsteps from the top right corner. Yeah, I, do. Okay. I do. Okay. I do. Okay. Oh, Peter my gosh. I, right. I woke up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat because of it. <laughs> we got to talk about the number one class, Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, they win the recruiting crown. Um, I think we called it our two, four, seven sports. They called it about one o'clock, I guess after KJ Bolden flipped, uh, um, was a knockout. Yeah. From, um, um, drawn a blank in high school, Buford Florida high school. State. Yeah. yeah no, Buford. From, from Buford high school, four or five stars in the class, 15 players in the top 200, 10 top 100 players in a very national class. And Grace, you and Seth Rayner published a, Seth Rayner, you, you're Grace <laughs> Rayner, you, you and Seth Emerson. <laughs> Um, published a story yesterday about the Georgia's in a, not inability, but their lack of success recruiting their own state, but it still, it doesn't really matter because they signed the number one class, but it ended up for a while. They had zero for a while. They had one of the top 10 players in the state, Dylan Rayola, and He was number even, 10, even though he's not really oh. in state. Then <laughs> the rankings changed after Rayola flipped and they had the number 10 player. Now they have two of the top 10, but still, it just doesn't really make add up that Georgia can be so dominant in recruiting, yet not sign so many in-state players. You talked to a couple coaches for that story. Kind of, w- what was their angle? Uh, it doesn't add up, but it also doesn't really matter right now. Like you just can't knock what they're doing from a recruiting standpoint. And so you talk to high school coaches, and they say, "Yeah, if they miss on a kid here, they're going to just go get someone else anywhere in the country." So, and then I think too, a big part of it is. If you are a program who's trying to be serious, you are recruiting the state of Georgia. There's just so many kids there. It's such a fertile state for recruiting that um, I, I would argue that it's one of the most three competitive states with Florida and Texas in the country. Yeah, I bet, Manny, this would be a good research project. We we mm-hmm. could ask Ari to do it, but it wouldn't turn no, out thanks. very well. We could look like how many <laughs> uh, Power Five or the whole you know, 133 programs like over the last five years, like how many have signed ex players from Georgia versus Texas? I think California is not part of that mix because geographically it just does not make sense for a lot of schools. But I'm guessing you think there's a higher percentage of programs. I'll ask all three of you guys. Higher percentage of the 133 programs that have signed guys from Georgia or Texas? Probably Texas just because of the size Texas. of the state. Yeah, in the geography. Yeah. Um, but I, I did look up some numbers myself today, right. believe it or not. So proud. I showed Ari how to use a Google. Uh, spreadsheet today and we've got on a call and I showed him how to sort. It was so fun. Uh, I didn't uh, get into this business to do math, but here we are. <laughs> um, that 
it was only two of the top 15 players in the state of Georgia, not just top 10. Yeah. And each of the top 15 players in the state of Georgia are all top 115 players nationally. So it's not like they weren't recruiting kids at home that weren't ranked highly. Like they didn't, they didn't right. close on players who are going to be difference makers in the classes that they signed. But then Georgia went out and signed top 100 players from the state of Florida, Texas, Virginia, Missouri, California, Georgia, Indiana, and Tennessee. Um, for top 100 players, that is only um, they had other states that they got players that were outside of that. It literally was just pure domination from coast to coast when it comes to uh, accumulating talent. I think what will be interesting, I guess, you know, if Georgia hits Rocky times, which based on their class being the only one that has <laughs> 10 top 100 players in it, I don't think that's going to happen. But there is this notion that as it happened at Ohio State a little bit that I wonder could happen elsewhere of when you start losing to your rivals or you start hitting rocky spots if people go we need people from the state of georgia who understand the fabric of the place in order to take things more seriously when you start taking winning for granted and i don't know that i buy into that notion but it is an interesting thing of like you can't criticize georgia for not taking in-state players but on the other hand it's like if you are so easily able to go out and get a kid that's a top 100 player out of the state of virginia or missouri or california or indiana then why is it so seemingly hard to do it even if the kids aren't from Georgia with the ones that live in Atlanta? It's it's just a bizarre thing, and it's not good or bad. It's just one of the most unique recruiting stats that I think I've ever seen. I think a lot uh, of I, it's – sorry, I last, think a lot of it – go ahead, finish up. I was just going to say, last year Alabama signed a class with nine five-star players in it, and I don't know the numbers for that off the top of my head, but that was one of the deepest cycles of Alabama football at the prep level in the history of the state. So like, it's like, there's usually a correlation between, you know, picking up players in state and how highly you're ranked, especially considering the fact that when you get in state players, they usually are able to um, get those commitments earlier, which then frees up your time to go out and branch out and get other players because time is currency in this whole thing. So it's just, it's bizarre. Georgia's dominant, but it is a bizarre stat. I think one thing too is, you know, we look at the rankings, we're not scouting all these players, but, they Georgia's in position. They get the best players they want, and they might like a a linebacker who's ranked 140 more than a kid right. in Atlanta who's ranked 70. And and Grace in that story talked about like Lad McConkey. I I think he he's got to be one of the best evaluations ever. You know, he's a three star. He's he's yeah. a great player. And I think Manny, I you've covered Miami for a lot of times. I remember just reading some stuff. I think some previous staffs at Miami went star chasing, and they would sign mm-hmm. kids based on classes rank. And Georgia's clearly not doing that. Now, these coaches, when there's a scoreboard, they won't have the number one class. I get it, all that. But you can't start chasing rankings. And I think some maybe some some staffs at Miami have done that. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think without question. I think a, a lot of times that, that happens, right? I think it's sort of, sort of the lazy approach is go off the recruiting rankings and and go after those guys based on that and not, not necessarily do your homework. And, and obviously, Georgia doesn't care about that. They've taken guys that are three stars and turned them into five stars by the time they're done with college. So um, I, kudos to that staff for just doing a great job. Um, you know, and, and I'll say this, Fran Brown, I thought when Fran Brown took the job at Syracuse, maybe they'd lose a little steam, right, with some of, their, some of the guys in the secondary. And yet they added K.J. Bolden, right, the number one safety, uh, after that, and then signed four top 100 recruits in the sec- in the secondary. So kudos to them for that. Yeah, it is an, it's an important distinction to say because of the way that we were talking about it. Just because they didn't sign top 15 players in the state of Georgia outside of the two that they got doesn't mean that they wanted all of them. 
there mm-hmm. there were ones that they wanted and there were ones that they yeah. didn't. Um, so they they picked and chose chose a little bit, but they did not want thirteen of the fifteen. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So a couple years ago, I asked you guys the question, or maybe it was just Ari before we before our family expanded to four people here. Um, what program had we? What Power Five program had we mentioned the fewest the fewest times in the history of Stars Matter? Do you remember what that program was at that point, Ari? Syracuse. It was Colorado at that point. And oh, I would how, say, how do we quantify that? Is Syracuse? Although we probably mentioned Syracuse in the regard that it's one of the toughest jobs because of its geography. But both you in a mailbag and Grace in her what I'm hearing on the recruiting trail that published the other day talked about Syracuse and. I'm not saying Syracuse is going to sign top 30 classes coming up soon, but I, I don't think I've seen a program, maybe since Colorado last year, change its vibe so quickly. I mean, they're getting they're flipping kids. Kyle McCord's there. Let's not spend too much time on it. But Chris, you start first. You talk to one of their commits. I mean, Syracuse is on the map in recruiting because of Fran Brown. Yeah, totally. I think kids really resonate with him. He's super relatable. The Northeast is pumping out more talent, I think, than than it has in the past. He's a New Jersey guy. Um, like I think that New was Jersey. an excellent New Jersey. I just think that was a really smart hire. Um, and like you like you said, we just saw their entire identity change in the last like two weeks. Yeah, Ari, it's kind of like a, it's an Ari Wasserman hire. Like you got to do something different when you're Syracuse. So you, he's never been a coordinator. I don't know if he's been a head coach, like maybe in high school, but like they went and they need talent. They got a guy who's going to give them talent. I, I want to go to Syracuse. Can you like put in the request for me? Sure. I've been to Have you ever been? My first, yeah, there's a Wegmans first, there. My first um, game, my first uh, game as the sports editor of the Vanderbilt Hustler was uh, was uh, Vanderbilt at Syracuse. Do you go to Pasta Billies? That's like the best restaurant in Syracuse. Pasta uh, Billies? Oh my gosh, that's, that's so clever. It is wow. so good. I think about yeah. it like Grace a lot. has been there for some of, some of Dabo's worst days, right? <laughs> I have. How many losses I, did you see there? Just one. Just one, yeah. Okay. At Pasta Billies? No, in Syracuse. <laughs> in the Carrier Dome. Oh. <laughs> I, <laughs> I no one's really losing wanted, there. That place is great. Yeah, yeah. Everyone wins the possibilities. That's what there should be their slogan. I want you to request a travel request for me to go write a story about Fran Brown in Cuse. You make your own travel request. I want you, you to send. do it. Yes, sir. All right. So we're gonna read more about after Ari spends two weeks in bed with with Fran Brown. Um, so you Ari, know we, it's going really hard over there at Miami because Manny's phone keeps ringing. <laughs> yeah, hey, I'm like, dude, dude you good, bro? <laughs> you're, you're, you're like uh, Adam Schefter. How many times does it have to ring before you like think to put it on silent? Like, I, I, don't I, know. I, mean, I have it on silent. It's just oh. it, there's just I, okay. when Jeremiah calls, it rings when Jeremiah yeah, like keeps sending it to voicemail. That's what I keep having to do. That's here. when you know it's legit when they say notify anyway. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Ari, you were to call this afternoon. 
po- sure posted did. it right away. On- Not right away. We had a few hour layover, but we did. <laughs> <laughs> On the Florida Gators, <laughs> your boy Billy Napier. It yeah. was a rough day for Billy. Why don't you take us through Florida's day? And it could have been a lot worse. A hell of a lot worse. It could have been a hell of a lot worse. It was still really, really bad. Um, <laughs> I don't remember what the stats are off the top of my head. Let me pull the story up real quick. But they've basically lost six top 150 players in yes, it was their six. class. Since three in November and like three recently, right? Yeah. And the start of the day off with McRae, the five-star defensive lineman, saying he wasn't going to sign. Now, ultimately, five-star quarterback DJ Lagway and McRae both signed uh, with Florida to kind of ease the blow a little bit. But before the afternoon, Lagway announced at like 3.30 Central and McRae jumped into the fold around 6 o'clock Central. Um, It was just an absolute bloodbath. And the problem with Florida here is you know, they have a coach who was hired to be the anti-Dan Mullen. What does that mean? It means they had a coach that's supposed to come in and become a maniacal recruiter. He said at his introductory press conference that he was going to hire an army of recruiting staffers that did everything from on-campus recruiting experience to NIL to graphics to all the stuff that you need. They were going to really dive in and go head first into being great recruiters first, which is a, a coach that just gets it. You know, he just gets it. And that's why I bought into him for so long. Um, and then today comes along and they go from having a top three class in the nation um, to being outside of the top 15 and seemingly, you know, a few weeks. And it's just like, now we're here looking at it and they have a few more top 100 players than Dan Mullen had in his final full class. But it's a Dan Mullen class, you know, and you're sitting here looking. And I know that Florida State had a bad day um, with some of the five-star prospects that they had flipping out. But Miami is over here, you know, crushing it and, you know, signing all these top-level prospects and still are in the process of trying to convince Jeremiah Smith even to flip. And then, like, all of the juice has been sucked out of Florida's program. And it's like I know that there are a lot of people who think that Billy Napier is going to be fired uh, because they've been bad on the field and they've been bad in recruiting. And I actually don't feel like, you know, if I feel like somebody's not qualified for the job or that they're wrong for the job, I'm pretty vocal about that. I don't know that I feel that about Billy Napier, but it's very clear that they something is They didn't look like the most well-coached team on the field. I sure, know. and that's fine, too. Yeah. And I, like, get blinders on. If you're somebody yeah. who can recruit at a high level, um, I buy into that more than, okay, he called the fader out on third and one when you know or whatever. But they're not doing that now either. Now they got Lagway, who's the yeah, quarterback, and he's the face of the class, and they got McCray. But like they were so close to just signing a top five class and just being like awesome going yeah. into the offseason and feeling good about themselves to like the wheels completely falling off at the worst possible moment with everybody watching and then them like limping over the sideline do you, with two five star prospects. Do you think that McCray, like, because he said this morning, do you think they went like, dude, we we really need you? <laughs> like, if. <laughs> if you know, we're having a bad day. We need we need Lagway to sign. Stop screwing around. You know, I, who knows what happened? But he went from I'll sign on Friday to just boom on Inst- on Instagram. He did say stop screwing around, right? And they're like just stop screwing around and sign with us. That was yeah. their strategy. Yeah, they well, called, it worked. They called his agent is what happened, and they said we'll, we'll go ahead and meet your demands. That's okay, what they did. M- Manny with the real story there. So <laughs> yeah, you know the thing that is just so difficult with me and all this stuff. It's like okay, 
it's all like done in the darkness. And I think I even wrote this in the in the column, Mitch. Like something like chaos like in the, the shadows. The chaos in the shadows. <laughs> I read like that. I was like, what the hell? I was like, I'll just keep it in. <laughs> yeah, because you don't like. I'm just like you beat me up today, and I'm just like tired. Okay, <laughs> but it's like it's it's all happening, and it's all this fugazi. It's a fugazi. It's fairy dust. You know, it does not exist. It's of no matter. It all comes together, but we don't know how it's made. We don't know what happened or if McRae got a. You know, nine hundred thousand yeah. dollars an hour. You know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> added into his contract. It's all bullshit, and some of it happens, and some of it doesn't. But the fact of the matter is, is that while we're a new era, that isn't the same era that Dan Mullen coached in. We're still in an era where results are demanded, and in a world where one of the main topics of the thoughts piece that I'm going to try to run tomorrow or the following day is um, some statistics about how much less lopsided the top ten is. It's like you can't be a team that's not sitting at the table. Um, 23 different teams signed at least one top 100 player in the 2021 class, which is the first full non NIL class or the last full non NIL class. And in 2024, 25 have. So have you given up on the 10, phrase, the cool kids table? I don't know. It's the cool kids table. There's more. I don't know that there's more schools at the cool kids table, but the schools that have been sitting at the cool kids table have more equitable plates or more even plates with the other people who have been sitting there. You don't have nine five-star prospect classes. You don't have a class that has 18 top 100 players in it like we got with A&M a few years ago. And Florida still is not in that mix. Now they've got three or four, I think four top 100 players, and two of them are are five stars. But like where they were and where they ended up, maybe if they just would have ended up here naturally, we wouldn't be talking about it, but it's – it's where they were that got us here that makes it more painful, I think. One of the first stories I edited from Ari was about Grace's alma mater getting a seat at the cool kids' table. Grace, they had a good run. That turned out to be wrong, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They, they're like, nerd, go, go nerd. over there. Yeah, so. Yeah. You can't sit with us. <laughs> <laughs> Grace, Grace, were you at the cool kids' table in high school? Well, yeah, you were a star athlete. You yeah, were she was a star athlete. No, yeah. Yeah. no, no, no. Or you, you Grace, probably were you watching mean game. to Were you yeah. mean to other people in high school? Yeah, were you mean to your backup point guard? No, I hope not. I don't think so. <laughs> but you went to an all-girls school. Is there more or less bullying no, she did. at an all-girls school? No, I didn't. School? I went to a high school. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you did? Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, all right. We actually... The guy, if you would have said a week ago, who would we be spending 20 minutes in this podcast talking about, had the least amount of drama. Dylan Raiola had signed basically by the time we all woke up this morning, signed with Nebraska. So no drama there. We're going to talk about Colorado in a few minutes. Um, and we're also going to talk about some, some new schools, uh, moving conferences. But another coach we talked to was Jed Fish from Ari's alma mater, who they were recruiting with the cool kids a couple years ago, but now they're just kind of playing ball with the cool kids. And Ari, this is, you might have referenced what? this. They, are they, are what they did a, you say about them being with the cool kids table? They weren't even in the school a few years ago. No, I mean, they decided they to top school. 25 <laughs> class. But they're playing with the cool kids now. I mean, they, they're they, in school now. Yeah, they yeah, get to they, go they to school could, now. They could be a preseason <laughs> top uh, team in the Big 12 next year. So. Here's our conversation with Jed Fish, and the same before. If you, this is going to be a, a part of it on this live stream. You'll, if you want to hear the entire conversation, it will be after the live stream. And if you're listening on the podcast form, here it is with Jed Fish. I know typically in recruiting, the fruits of a season's success probably aren't felt until the next year. In this case, class of 2025. But how much easier is it just when you're on the road talking to kids than when you've actually got tangible results rather than your first year when you're selling a vision? 
Yeah, I think, you know, I, I always said we had to have uh, – our team had to have confidence without evidence, and our staff had to have the same. That when they went on the road, they had to sell – uh, and tell and really give the messaging of who and what we are. Now, our first year, we didn't have a recruiting class. So um, we only were able to sign two players. That's all they had scholarship-wise when we arrived. So our first recruiting class was 22, um, which was probably the best class historically Arizona ever had. And then last year's class, we were able to build off of that. And then this year's class has been really a unique blend of uh, we don't have a lot of numbers. We only have about you know, 25 scholarships available, including the transfers, because all of our 22s, uh, no one went in the portal. We didn't lose any players. So um, and we signed a big class the last two years. Coach, when you arrived at uh, Arizona, it was during a time in which it started to feel like or people were would feel like that this is a program that you just can't win at for whatever reason. Um, there was a class before you arrived that didn't have a single top 1000 player in the rankings. I think there might've been one at the end when they, they did an update, uh, update to those rankings. And it was just kind of one of those deals of like, what is wrong there? And then you show up and you just seem to get what Arizona was about immediately. Um, You spoke their language and you understood the exact formula, the areas to recruit, the way to embrace it, bringing Gronkowski back for the spring, all the things that you did as a first year head coach, um, how do you learn that language and how did you find yourself to be prepared enough to at least understand what needed to be done before it was done to fix Arizona's problems? Yeah. You know, even though I was a first year head coach, I've been around a lot of head coaches and I've been in six different programs, maybe even seven uh, in the first year of a program. So Pete Carroll's first year in Seattle, Jim Harbaugh's first year of Michigan, uh, Gus Bradley's first year in Jacksonville. So when you start doing all the first years, you start mm-hmm. realizing like, okay, what is it going to take? You know, what does it look like? What do you need to do? Um, and you look at where the successes came from and uh, you take those notes and you really just say, all right, you know, we've got to ingratiate ourselves in the community. We've got to make sure that it doesn't matter what people thought of the hire. It doesn't matter that we didn't go to school here. You know I mean? If that was the case, then Nick Saban could only be the head coach at Kent State, right? And, you know, Bill Belichick could only coach at Wellesleyan. So we know that that's not true, but yet there's always that initial, you know, stigma you got to get over. And um, our philosophy was we're going to hire a great staff that understands the West Coast and understands uh, what it comes down to. And I, I felt like it was necessary to put guys like Ricky Hundley and Chuck Cecil on the coaching staff early. Uh, ingratiate and bring in Teddy Bruschi and Gronk to certain events and uh, really see like, okay, let's reach out to the past, but never, you know, say that we're not going to move forward into the future. How much do you anticipate your recruiting focus switching from Southern California, where you look at your quarterback and your wide receiver T-Mac, we, we all know where those guys came from to Texas. Now that you guys are going to the big 12. I would assume we're going to remain 80% Southern California. Uh, I see it as a huge advantage that those other programs have to travel all the way to the East Coast to play football games and play games in the cold and play games and, you know, go go to Rutgers and go to Penn State and go to Champaign, Illinois. And uh, I mean, who's our major competition in recruiting the two programs on the West Coast on, on California that 
now have to convince kids that it's worth their while to go play at Iowa uh, and go play at Illinois, uh, where I can, you know, tell these kids, hey, you guys all think as California kids, uh, you're better football players than Texas high school kids. Well, let's see it. Jen, when you were, you've had a lot of success this year, and I don't know how much you spend time reading coaching carousel rumors and all that stuff, but your name comes up quite a bit when it pertains to potentially being a candidate at other at other positions. Um, you know, Mitch asked you a little bit about how recruiting goes when you've had a lot of success, but when you've had a lot of success to this degree, this quickly, it turns into those other things too. How have you been able to balance um, recruiting to your program while also, you know, reportedly being a candidate for a lot of big time jobs that will either be open now or next year. Yeah. Well, the good part is uh, I had zero focus on other jobs this year. I did not, uh, that did not even, you know, cross, cross the line other than people su- suggesting that I would be a good candidate for those jobs. Um, uh, you know, I feel like I'm fully committed uh, to the kids that fully committed to me. Uh, which was in 2022 when we were 1-11. and 11. And, you know, Jaden Delora and Noah Fafita both chose to come here. T-Mac and Jacob Cowling both came chose to come here. One as a transfer, one as a, you know, mm-hmm. uh, freshman. Uh, Jonah Savanay as a freshman, Jordan Morgan as a senior decided to come back. And when you started Jonah Coleman and Mike Wiley, and when you look at that, I said, there's no way I'm going to go look at another job this year. Uh, and then our athletic director and president have worked very hard to um, hopefully put a uh, contract in place that, you know, keeps me here a long time. Uh, that's our, that's our hope and our plan as we move into the start of the year. And, um, you know, the other things are nice compliments, but that's about it. The talk around the sport now is the recruiting calendar and how hectic December is. It's obviously true, but with most of the kids taking official visits in June and, and most teams have 80, you know, 80, 85% of their class wrapped up uh, by the start of the season, how much recruiting are, act- are you actually doing in December versus portal work? And, and how has that kind of played out for you? Yeah, we have to change this calendar. This calendar is not a sustainable model for family life, personal life, professional life, football life. Um, it, it just doesn't work right now with the idea of, you know, the day, you, day after you play your last game. Now you're on the road trying to make sure people don't poach. Uh, your high school recruits that are all planning on signing December 20th. Then each day you see another portal entry, but you want to make sure your team doesn't go into the portal. So you're talking to them yet. You want to have a great bowl game. Uh, So you're game planning and making sure that you do a great job of keeping your team together. And then, you know, now you've got star players from other teams leaving right before their bowl game. So they go play 12 games and now they're not playing in the 13th and, it just doesn't feel right to me. Um, it feels like we have to come up with a better plan, a way to either discourage portal entries in December or let people sign when they commit rather than wait till December 20th. You know, so then maybe you don't have to spend as much time on the road trying to make sure no one else is stealing them. Um, but we need to figure out a little bit better of an overall structure in college football so we can have some – you know, some life, uh, some life as coaches, some life as players, because I don't think it's fair to anybody right now. Um, Guys, did you like my hard hitting question? How much easier is it to recruit when you win games? You guys are all journalists, so you get to take some notes and you can learn from me. So after I asked that question, I was like, what you learned that the what, hustler. What, yeah, like, what the hell is he, <laughs> the hell is he <laughs> supposed to say there? So 
but <laughs> good talk with uh, Jed Fisher, smart guy and a great little run there. Livingston, New Jersey native there. Um, it is kind of funny that we went from talking about Florida's struggles to Jed <laughs> yeah. Fish, but yeah. what are you trying was, to say? Uh, that was completely an accident, guys. <laughs> what are you trying to say? <laughs> I'm trying to say that he would be a very prime candidate for that coaching job if it were to open. Do you know where he future. went to college? No. He went to Florida. Yeah, you know I know. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was not a football player. Just went. I think he was like a manager. Um, so wanted to learn how to be a head coach. Um, so interesting. So. All right, a Big 12 uh, competitor of Arizona next year, seems weird to say, will be the University of Colorado. Interesting day when some of these schools are talking about 28 signees, 30 signees. Colorado signed five high school recruits. One of them was not Jordan Seaton, who midday, I guess there was some Maryland smoke there. He's a D.C. native. He's Maryland not smoke is like something you would see on the wire. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of smoke on that. Um, so, okay, around the horn. Great start with you. Where does Jordan Seaton sign? Uh, I would say Maryland. I don't think he's going to Colorado. Like, I don't know. I just, their class makes no sense to me. I think it was recruiting malpractice. I would Ooh, not go there if I were him. Let's like, go, Grace. How can you sign five. You and I Scorching. can sign five players. Like, I know. If I, I were famous, if I were as famous as Dion, I would have killed it. I just right, can't. I just cannot wrap my head around that. I don't think he goes there. He would have signed by now. I think if he was serious about going there. Manny, where does he sign? He told me he was going to stay on the East Coast when I talked to him in August. Man, he's so like, he's going to sign at Miami. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I, I was going to say I was going to say Florida because he's got to help Jed Fish when he's hired there in a couple yeah. years. How about Manny? Be like he, when when I talked to him last, just dropping names. You know, I'm a I reporter. Know, I'm out in the field. I did talk to him in August. You were there. You Tony, I sent you the photos. Yeah. yeah. Tony uh, Yeo has been asking the entire night if we could talk about Colorado's class. I think that take Grace, can, <laughs> Grace can cook. Like, go ahead, yeah. Grace. I, I, mean, I want to ride the wave. I just, it just makes no sense. Like, what, what were you doing? Like, while everyone else was out recruiting. Not hopping on planes, right, Ari? What are you doing? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's just like. What are you doing? How many, how many players do basketball teams sign? Like, do they, do they sign more than five kids? They can sign, sign five seven or six. to eight. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I like. I mean, big classes could be seven, right? Right. Yeah. Are, even more know. now because there's so much, so many defections there. Obviously, they signed a, a transfer class. They're, they're going heavy in the portal again. But I think we can make a case that DJ Lagway to Florida and then Seton possibly to Colorado are the two most important recruits in the country as far as needs. Can I try to clear this up just a little bit? Let me just try to Please. clear it up. Please. I think that Colorado's plan was to have a light class. But by light, I think they wanted 10 or 12, That's, yeah. right? I would think so. And then they would build heavily through the portal in order to fill out their roster. Because you can't and run off as many in year two. Like the, the rules don't allow you to. But right? I think yeah. it went off the rails <laughs> and they accidentally ended up with five. <laughs> like I, I think that that is how it happened. Because one kid that didn't qualify academically, I believe, signed somewhere Isaiah else. Walker. Yes. Um, there's okay. a few other, you know, flips that were kind of bizarre. Uh, one kid flipped the Georgia Tech. We don't know the actual stories because, as Dion said, we're not in the house. But let me tell you, the curb appeal is not good right now. And I don't even know if I want to go in the house. Um, I just don't know why, if they were intentionally going to sign 7 to 10, because they're going to go heavy in the transfer portal. Kelvin Harris here in the chat, you know, Colorado people always say that. 
I understand that, but could you imagine Deion Sanders with an entire year to build a high school class having only needing to fill seven spots, how good that class should have and could have been based on what we know about him? And now they they have one top 100 player, I think, if he signed today, and now their crown jewel, the five-star offensive tackle that they somehow got to commit on national television two weeks ago is going to Maryland? And I get it. Everybody has different thought processes about where they're from and being close to family. We talked about it with Jeremiah Smith. And I'm not here to look my nose down on anybody's college decision. But it's not like Alabama came in and swooped. You know, so it's like, where was Dion in the high school ranks all year is something that I've written about extensively. People get mad at me when I write about it, but like, don't you think if I would have said, hey, Manny, Dion's going to sign five to seven players in his first full cycle, like how many top 100, top 200, even top 400 players would you think would be in that class? I think if you said top 400, I would have said six or seven out of seven. Right. This is a disaster. Yeah, yeah this is. What is that is, number? I think it's one. It's, it's just I mean, one. Seton still counts because he's in the class still um, because he committed, but I, he hasn't signed yet. And I've got my wrist hurts from scrolling back as far as I need to <laughs> to get to Colorado. They have six guys now, one five-star prospect who doesn't count, and they have one top 100 player. Um, and that is what it is. So um, I have a friend who... Uh, a friend of a friend who was on a private plane today. Um, Ooh. All right, Manny. Jesus, Manny. I mean, if it on. is about Jeremiah Smith, you actually should pick up the phone. Um, I, I keep telling people, text me. But Okay, um, so Ari has a friend of a friend who was on a private mails? plane. You, voicemails? These are, these are all just phone calls. People are calling. Okay. Um, who was on a JSX plane today, and I heard that Deion Sanders was on the plane from Denver to Dallas today. And it's like, I don't know why he would be doing that. So Somebody inform me. I mean, it might just be an easy, an easy answer, but like, why aren't you in the you bunker, man? The, Make it yeah, move. I don't yeah. know. Like, why are you like right. having peanuts up 10,000 feet in the air? I, I just like, I'm with you, Grace. And what did you say? Coaching malpractice? Recruiting we're malpractice. Gonna, we're going to cut that and we're going to make that the promo of the show. We're going to put it on Twitter. It's going to be Grace Rayner, Colorado <laughs> recruit. That's what they do to me every episode. It's your turn, Grace. <laughs> I got an update. Do you, do you believe? <laughs> Our former producer and hurricane loyalist, uh, Mike Zimmerman, just slacked me and said that he is not the one calling you with updates no, on not. Jeremiah. So, uh, dude, he's Mike. He's working the NIL. Mike's working the NIL. He's, I love he's a, Mike. He's so he's great. A big hurricane guy, and he's having a hell of a day. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, um, all right, let's let's talk about a couple schools that we usually talk about in recruiting podcasts, but had kind of boring days, like Texas and Oklahoma. Two teams going to the SEC, both top 10 classes. I think Texas number five right now, third straight top five class. Oklahoma number eight after a number five class or number four last year. Um, guys, I'll throw it out to you. Just I didn't, other than maybe the slight Ryan Wingo drama that really wasn't drama, I don't think he was sleeping. Yeah, I don't think those two schools, <laughs> we thought about them today, which is probably a good thing. I thought about Texas today. Well, you think about Texas every day. You don't believe somebody accused me on Twitter today of being upset that Texas was good this year. And I was like, I got I a 21, 20 to one listen, ticket here. Back. Do they listen to your podcast? <laughs> I'm sitting on, I'm sitting on 20 grand here. I mean, <laughs> you've I hopefully, dedicated your life yeah. to this. No, Texas so, had a great, had a great cycle. Yeah. And they, they had some flips that the being able to 
hold on to a kid like Wingo is certainly doesn't really count as a commitment on the day of, but it's certainly a recruiting win. Um, you know, and I'm looking at the team rankings right now. Texas is number five checks in and they are one of a few teams. I think two teams that has four five-star prospects committed. And if Ohio state loses Jeremiah Smith, it'll be the, the, the most that anybody has. So, you know, I thought that there was a little bit of a weirdness to their Texas state stuff. Cause it's like, um, we did talk about Georgia and how they signed a top five class without really taking advantage of the state that they're in. And it's like, if you go look at the state of Texas, uh, Texas didn't dominate by any stretch of the imagination. They only have three of the top 10 players and three of, excuse me, the top 30 players, <laughs> you know, went to Texas. Uh, but those players are Kobe black, top 50, uh, Xavier Philsame, uh, five-star safety that they flipped away from, you guessed it, Florida earlier in the week, and Colin Simmons, who's a top 15 player at the defensive end position. So they signed a top three class without dominating their own state too, which I think might, let me write that down. I'm gonna put that yeah, down. Uh, Grace, you, um, is this what you expected from your, your buddy, Brent Venables, when he became a head coach? Like just top five, top 10 classes? You were around him at Clemson. I Yeah, I always thought Brent was a really good recruiter at Clemson. Like probably didn't get his... Uh, as much credit as he deserved, but um, yeah, it does not surprise me that he is doing well at Oklahoma on the recruiting trail. Manny looks like he's making moves there. He's got. He does. Scoops. You yeah, look like you're like. like I'm doing my best Schefter for you guys yeah. right yeah. now. Go ahead. You need to report something live. Go ahead, do it. So <laughs> if you do, if you would do your John Clayton, you can ask for your mom for the. Yeah. What, what did he do? <laughs> Meatloaf. Yeah. Mom, <laughs> was that? Was, yeah. He, no, was he asking for meatloaf? That's from the movie uh, Wedding Crashers. Yeah, that's you, right. you guys know where meatloaf played college football, right? No, What's you didn't know this? Meatloaf the singer, buddy. You I've know, never even heard of that human. You don't know who meatloaf is. I know that my wife gets it from the store pre-made for me once a month. Grace, do you know who meatloaf is? <laughs> no, you've never Manny, heard you the do. singer meatloaf. Yes, I have. He's very popular. Thanks for love, right? Yeah, but I would, yeah, you I want to say it. Yeah, just is he better or worse than Jelly Roll? Well, he was a. Def- Did you know Manny? He was a defensive back at Texas Tech. Defensive back? I thought <laughs> yes. you were going to say defensive like lineman. Yeah, well, that's one of those things that I've found out. Some hopefully it's still true, but I'm you, you youngsters on this. Although Grace is thirty now, we've confirmed that Grace is thirty. She was I knew her for like three years, and she was twenty nine for three years. So <laughs> welcome to the thirties. So another school in the state of Texas is SMU, not headed to the SEC like Oklahoma and Texas, but the Mustangs are on their way to a Power 5 conference, and Manny and I talked to head coach Rhett Lashley, and that's Manny's old buddy from the University of Miami days. Uh, Rhett was down there for a couple of years. Uh, so here's part of that conversation on the live stream, just like the other two interviews on the podcast tomorrow. Here's the entire interview with coach Rhett Lashley at SMU early in this whole evolution of your program, but how much has the move to the ACC or the announced move to the ACC affected your sales pitch in the recruiting trail? Uh, it's, it's been a huge boost for us. You know, I mean, um, for probably the last four or five years here, the program we've, we've been winning, going to bowl games, um, recruited well, um, but really kind of the last thing we needed to, to be able to really compete for the best players, specifically in Dallas and in the state of Texas, was to be in a power conference. You know, that was just that last thing. You'd always get to the end of the final three or four with a kid. And, Coach, I love it. I want to come to SMU. I want to be in Dallas. But I also want to play at the highest level on the biggest stage. And, you know, we could only do so much with that. And so, um, you know, going to the ACC is a big deal. I think it's a great fit for our school. 
um, you know, just in the short time, you know, we had two kids committed in our 25 class before the announcement, but since the announcement, we've had three or four more. And I think a lot of, uh, websites were top 10 now in the 25 class, just because the caliber of kids that have committed that are now attracted to SMU has just changed because they've always really wanted to come here lately and it's been attractive, but they wanted to play against the best of the best. And now they feel like they can. Coach, you guys, I mean, obviously roster building nowadays is is totally different with the transfer portal. And and, and these first two years, as you, if you've been sort of implementing your program, you know, you, you've relied on the portal quite a bit. I think 26 transfers uh, last cycle, a bunch of those guys started for you, were big time contributors. You had, I think you had 15 or 16 high school kids. Uh, but the first two years, kind of transfer portal heavy. Now that you're going into the ACC, how do you sort of do the math in your head? Do you start to favor more of the high school kids going forward, or is there even a perfect formula to sort of solve in all this? <clears throat> it's a great question. I, I don't know if there's a perfect formula for anything in college football <laughs> right now. Um, you're kind of trying to – you're trying to still have your mind on the future, but you're always trying to build the best team you can for this year and uh, with the way the rules are right now. And so – you know, we still want to do both. We want to sign high school kids. We're in a state with great high school football and great high school talent. And and really the Dallas Metroplex year in, year out has arguably the most Division One player signed. So um, that's not going to change. Um, I think this cycle, you know, last cycle, <clears throat> we had to go real transfer heavy, specifically on defense to try to, <clears throat> to get ourselves where we felt like we could win a championship. And, you know, fortunately it worked. I think this cycle um, – you know, we'll still sign 10 or 12 high school kids. We'll probably still be a little bit transfer heavy. And then I think you could see it balance out a little bit more and then be more year to year just because I now I think now being in the ACC, the caliber of player we can attract out of high school is different than it was. And so now we're feeling like we can get players that we can develop, compete with out of the high school ranks as opposed to, well, do we want to try to get a better player out of the portal as opposed to settling in the high school world? And so – um, I think I think it'll be different every year. Um, I really don't know. I, I don't know if we'll have to be as transfer heavy every year. You'd like to get where you have a base of high school, and then you use the portal to kind of supplement your roster uh, year in year out. And hopefully, we can get to that point. Yeah, you know, lots been made about the calendar, especially how hectic December is, and that's you know obviously true. But with kids being able to take official visits in, in June, and a lot of teams having their classes almost wrapped up. Are you finding yourself recruiting as much in December as you used to or spending more time on the portal? How are you kind of managing that this month? Oh, yeah. We, um, you know, we got to figure something out because <laughs> we got no plan and we're sticking to it in, in, in what we're doing. You know, that's the other thing about the last question with high school kids that's affecting it is the business model doesn't lend you to need to take high school kids. It's actually not a good business model, but that's not good for kids. So, but, um, to answer the, the the most immediate question, like you do, you kind of from a little bit January through May, you do a little bit of transfer recruiting, but you start to really dive into the high school recruiting. And then to your point, June is big official visits, May and June, and guys committing. And usually before fall camp starts in August, a lot of the top high school kids have decided where they're going. So you kind of have like a January to, to June, July high school recruiting window. The fall is more about ball because a lot of the high school guys know where they're going. And then this stretch in December is very, very transfer heavy. Um, and so it's kind of developed into like two different cycles almost, it feels like. 
I'm going to steal this question from my colleague, Ari Wasserman. He asked Jed Fish this question earlier today. So, so much of recruiting is, is effort, right? Right. Building those relationships, getting those kids to believe, hey, not only can you get the best players to come to your program, but then also help them get to the NFL. But what about NIL? How much, you know, you just finished sort of talk, talking about the financial side of this. How much does a player's commitment ultimately come down to what he can make in terms of dollar figures? What Jed say? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's uh, you were there, uh, Mitch. What do you say? Yeah. So, again, I think we're at a place in point in college football where the transfer piece for for student athletes, it's, we're still calling them that, is yeah. is good, right? NIL is good. You know, whether it's NIL, whether it's some revenue sharing because they're the product on the field, all those things are good things. But when you have anything in life that's good without any kind of structure, border guidelines could be not good. Like, mm-hmm. and so we're at a point where there's just, there's no rules, there's no structure, there's no guidelines to either one. They're all happening at the same time. And it makes it really hard to be consistent and, and, and to know what's, what's best for everybody. And, you know, when it comes to NIL and recruiting, the relationships still matter, getting to know people still matter. But when you, now what you realize is, well, I think there's two things. In general, you get down to the final three or four schools for a kid. If you don't have a good NIL opportunity from, you know, something in, near your institution, obviously doesn't come from the institution, you're not going to close. You're not going to win. It doesn't matter, you know, because money is money. And if guys have opportunities to have better NIL opportunities at a certain place, that's where they're going to go. That's the close now. It's no longer – the relationship still gets you into the end game, but the end game used to be, okay, now – does the relationship close or who has the best closing pitch or what now it's like, who, where's the best NIL opportunity? The second piece and everyone's different. And I don't know how long any, any of us can do this. We're, we're still trying to build a true team here. And you see other schools out there that have gone out and had a lot of players on their team, like tons of money supposedly dedicated to their team and guys making all kinds of, you know, money and other guys not. And those teams haven't done well. And, you know, we want ours to still be a team and so when a, if a guy comes in and it's like, man, I, you know, I want to get a degree and I want to play in the NFL and I want to get coached and I want to get developed and I want opportunity to play and you guys are thin at this position and all these other things. And, oh, by the way, I also want a chance to maximize on my name, image, and likeness. That's totally cool. Like, that's it. That's where we are. But if someone just sits down and goes, okay, how much am I going to make? In my opinion, that could be a red flag. Yeah. You know, because – that tells you all that kid's worried about is making money now, which none of the NIL money is life-changing money. It's good for now, but none of it's life-changing. Life-changing is NFL money, life money from getting a degree and getting a job that spans over four decades. And so it's just a, it's a unique situation. But if you don't have any NIL opportunities associated uh, with coming to your program, then you're not getting any players. Coach, last one from me. Um, you know, look, I, I mentioned earlier the 26 transfers, 16 of them, I think, started for you guys this past season. That's a great stat, right, to sell transfers. Like, hey, man, we when we take you, you're going to come in and contribute. But how do you sort of spin it then for the high school kids and, and, and get them to understand why it's good to maybe come into college for a year and redshirt and have that time to sort of develop as a player behind an older guy? Um, does it work anymore? Because we've seen 2023 guys who were just signed the last cycle decide, Hey, forget it. One year I'm getting back into the portal. So how does, how do you balance that? Yeah. The whole red shirt and develop guys things out the window, they're going to transfer. <laughs> so yeah, it, it, it wasn't just transfers for us this year. It was, we're going to play the best guys. Mm-hmm. And here's the deal. If you're good enough and you've earned the right to play, you're going to play. And so for example, at receiver, 
for the first time in a long time, we didn't have a dude like lead the league in receiving or be high up there. But we are the only team in the country that had eight guys with, you know, over between 300 and 550 yards each and over 20 catches. You know, we spread it. We had almost co-starters at every receiver position. They just all played. And on defense, we had 47 sacks with 20 different dudes had a sack. You know, we we had over 20 guys on our defense have over 20 tackles. Like, we played a lot of guys. It was almost like we had 22 starters on each side of the ball or at least 15 or 16. And and so what we can tell them is we're, we're going to play the best guys, and if you're good enough to play, you're going to play. And we'll play a lot of guys because while everybody wants to come out like we had Rasheed Rice a year ago and catch almost 100 balls and over 1,200 yards and all that, they want to play. And nowadays, if you bring guys in high school and transfer and they play, they're going to be happy. If they're contributing, they're going to be happy. And I think it also helped our depth and our team camaraderie versus if you're only playing three or four guys and everybody else standing around watching, um, I think you're going to have trouble continuing year after year to con- to get guys to want to come to your program. So I think the biggest thing is we're going to play. We're going to play the best guys, and we don't mind playing uh, more than one guy at each spot. All right, good stuff from Rhett Lashley there. And um, Manny, Manny and Rhett were talking shop afterwards, old, old quarterback buddies talking, talking QBs. My favorite thing about Rhett Lashley is that he studied the entire history of Miami football during COVID when he was their offensive coordinator. Yeah, I read about that in some <clears throat> guy's story. It's good stuff. Yeah. Um, all right, I'm going to the gonna, only one who did. Yeah, we got to wrap it up in a few minutes here. I'm going to read off the top ten classes as of now. Things could change, and open the floor about a minute. When each of you guys pick a class, just something that jumps out at you about a minute each, and then we'll wrap it up. So obviously, number one, Georgia Bulldogs. Number two, Alabama. Number three, Miami for now. Number four, Ohio State for now. Number five, Texas. Six, Oregon. Seven, Auburn. Eight, Oklahoma. Nine, Florida State. Ten, Notre Dame. And I'm going to start with Ari and give him. I'm assigning you the Auburn Tigers. You don't get to pick your own team. I actually did a little quick. I know. I'm like so conflicted because I want to talk about Auburn. I want to talk about Oregon and I want to uh, mentioned that USC is a dumpster fire too. This is I don't know like what to pod, do. Though. We got to share. The I know, I know. Okay, Oregon has to be mentioned, and then I'm just give me a minute and fifteen seconds. They did a very good job today. They got Dante Moore in the portal last week, and then they flipped Jeremiah McClellan. They have another top six class. We got through the entire podcast. We did not mention Oregon. There will certainly be more time as Stars Matter continues on to the future to get to it. Oregon and Dan Lanning get it. They're the SEC now in the Big Ten. I love what they're building. I love Dan Lanning. I love their NIL. A lot to like about Oregon. Um, Auburn's just a team now that is involved again. Like for the Brian Parson era, they weren't even the trying. Um, and for them to sign a top seven class, I made the comment here. They only went up 11 spots in the rankings from 18 to 7. But that is a huge 11 spots. That's not just like 11 spots from 57 to 40, 46. Like you're jumping over high quality teams in order to arrive in the top 10. And when you do that, you're also hopping over, um, you know, programs that have status that might be bigger than yours. I mean, the teams that they have hopped over from 18 is USC, A&M, Florida, Michigan, Penn State, Tennessee, Clemson, LSU, Notre Dame, Florida State, Oklahoma. Auburn signed a better class than all of them. Two years ago, they weren't even in top fives with in-state players in the top 100. Say what you want about Hugh Freeze. Um, they have done a pretty good job of, of reasserting themselves as a real good good uh, cycle um, for freeze. Grace, pick a team. Uh, I feel like Notre Dame quietly had a really great year. Like we, after CJ Carr committed to them, I feel like we didn't talk a ton about them, but you look at them now, top 10, they have four top 50 players. They got the best player in Michigan in CJ Carr. 
Um, this just feels like one of those classes that we didn't talk a ton about, but are going to look back on later and be like, that was pretty impressive. If, especially if CJ Carr's good. And I saw his, um, he's already there working bowl practice and his parents bought a house near campus. So I Love hope it. he doesn't transfer after a year. So, um, Manny, if you're still with us, pick a class and you can't pick <laughs> Miami. <laughs> All I'm going to say about Miami really quick, if I can get this in, is that this is the first time since Larry Coker was coach in 2005 that they've had back-to-back top 10 recruiting classes. So kudos for Mario for finally kind of putting an end to that. Uh, I was going to talk about Alabama because I don't know how much we how much we really spent talking Not about me. Bama, but uh, number two class, uh, Nick Saban hasn't lost it, right? I mean, we thought, I think people this season were predicting a three-loss season, right, for Bama. Not only did they avoid that, but they ended up with the, you know, getting into the playoff, having the uh, number two signing class. And I'll say this, I saw Julian saying back in like, uh, I don't know, February, March, when he was playing for the South Florida Express, I think he's going to be the best quarterback. I know he's ranked number one by by the 247 Sports Composite, but I think he's going to be a Heisman Trophy winner in Alabama. Ooh. Ooh. I like it. Ooh. Bold. Bold. All right. We are eschewing the trivia for the week because Grace is very excited. Although, it would have been much better to put Grace on the spot on a live feed. I don't know, man. I was trying to find my phone so I could call Manny before we hung up, but I can't find it. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, so no, no trivia today. Um, we will be back next Wednesday with our normal show. We'll be in the feed Thursday. We'll record Wednesday. I don't know if you guys are on. Actually, you know what? I'm not going to be here next Where Wednesday. Where are you going to be? Manny, I'm going to be in uh, suburban Battle Creek, Michigan at the in-laws, I think. Okay. I might be driving home. We'll need to figure this out. Manny might have to. Oh, before we leave. Last week, I'm in New York at an editor's meeting. Thursday, I'm going for a run in Central Park. Great weather. I put on Stars Matter to listen to my friends. And the first thing I hear is Manny talk about the best Mitch at The Athletic, Mitch Sherman. I expect that crap from Ari, Manny, not from you, okay? Is, is Ari I, I, writing your jokes nowadays? He is. He is. But I had to try to make Mitch Sherman feel really good. And I thought this is the cheapest, easiest way to do it. Just call him the bitch, the best Mitch. The <laughs> <one>. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's time to, it's time to get out of here. Wait, <laughs> Ari, do you have an HR? Do you have an HR? Yeah, no, for me? actually, I'm, for the first time in my time in, at The Athletic, HR is not on my back. So yeah. it's good. Um, All right. Yeah, you know, note. word slips happen. It's no big deal. Yeah. Ari, would you like Ari, would you like to uh, do your Thank typical? Thank you guys for listening to the latest edition of Until Saturday, Stars Matter edition. Is that how you say it? Stars Matter. It's been a long day. I've been laying on my stomach since 6 a.m. on my bed. I'm just like, we're not going to go like, like sit next to my wife and have a human interaction. Um, <laughs> what is but this? I, appreciate you. I, I don't know, man. Ask Manny what it is. Uh, thanks, guys. We'll, we'll catch you guys next week. Even if Mitch isn't here, we'll get the best Mitch uh, on, on the show. And we'll, we'll, we'll rock. It's funny, Chris. Uh, Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate you. We'll catch you next week.